Welcome back to another episode of Stacking Denny's. I'm Jordan McAbee of Rotoballer, along with my co-host Nick Giffen of the Action Network. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in victory lane in the Daytona 500. You know, I feel like for a while we kind of forgot, everyone kind of forgot that he's really good at super speedway races, and he kicks off 2023, locking himself into the playoffs. We're already one surprise driver in on our quest to get to 17 different winners before these playoffs start, just like last year. But we have a lot to talk about. Not not to mention, you know, Auto Club coming up this weekend, but we got a lot to talk about the Daytona 500 because there's been a lot of controversy. There's been a lot of complaining. There's been um, just stuff being thrown everywhere. But first off, let's talk about the race itself, Ricky Stenhouse winning. Jeff Gluck's poll that he does on Twitter got 71% of people saying yes, that that was a good race. Ranks number five of six for Daytona 500s in the poll. 2021 was lower. 9 of 13 for Daytona races overall and 19 of 21 for super speedway races in his polls that he has conducted. Uh, so a little bit less than average um, or un- under average there as far as people enjoying the actual race itself. I'll say this, though. That was some exciting stages. Keselowski in stage one, winning stage one with an expert move, was impressive. The end of the race was a little bit of controversy, but it was exciting at the same time. What do you think of that race, Nick? Do you think it was a good race? Do you like it? Good start to the season? What were your thoughts? I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was a great race. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they were side-by-side side the whole time. And, yeah, it might have been hard to move forward. It maybe didn't quite look like some of the Daytonas we've seen recently where you can kind of make a third line or go through the middle. Like, it was definitely a race where it was track position mattered, which is mm-hmm. not something we often say at Daytona, but it definitely mattered. But you could still make things happen, especially up front. And we saw that case in point. I mean – Kyle Larson shoving Ricky Stenhouse Jr. under Joey Logano there on that last restart. Uh, it was it was very possible to make things happen. You could shove the leader out in front of you and then get underneath him. And Larson almost did the same thing to Stenhouse there after that. Like Larson tried yeah. to make his move, uh, and Stenhouse ended up cutting back underneath him. So it was kind of cool. But uh, like you said, good stages uh, in terms of interesting. Uh, I do think the the. I don't. I think it was the Toyotas that kind of botched it, uh, and then Keselowski was able to take advantage in stage in one. Stage one. So I don't. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't think we're going to talk as about much, that. Trust me. I don't think it was as honestly. I don't think it was as much as Keselowski as I think it was the Toyotas. I think it was that botched it or something. Um, getting up in that lap trap. Yeah, getting up in that lap traffic there. Uh, so. Uh, I think that was uh, you know uh, just something there, and I was actually kind of happy about that because I. Even though Kez won the stage, I don't think he had one of the necessarily the strongest cars. He wasn't bad by any means, um, but he wasn't leading up to that point. He wasn't making moves. He wasn't uh, contending for the front. So it was just kind of a, a circumstance there. And obviously, with my no, your your and my no two plus stage bet, I was actually kind of happy to see Keselowski win yeah. that stage because I didn't think he was gonna uh, win the race. And even at the end there, when he was leading with Busher behind him and Kyle Busch and Austin Dillon, I felt pretty good that Keselowski was not in the catbird seat there. So uh, felt pretty good about that. But um, I thought it was a great race. Uh, I Obviously, we all want to see them race to the line. But they were still racing when the race ended, right? Like, they were still racing. And that's when there's a crash, the race ends. It's not like they aren't racing. I mean, I think both of them knew it could end at any moment. And that's why you saw Ricky pressing like he did to get past Joey there. Because... 
You still need to be out front in case that caution comes on the last lap. And very often that caution will come out on the last lap, especially these days with the way it is so important to win and get in and just the fact that it's the Daytona 500 in general. So I enjoyed the race. I thought it was, I thought it was a very good race. Um, obviously there were some things left to be desired in terms of maybe TV coverage or this, that or the other, but overall the racing itself was very good. Mm-hmm. You mentioned track position being so important. You know, Joey Logano finished second. He started third. Christopher Bell, who I was one of the few people that were on Christopher Bell all week, and he finished Me third. Too. Yeah, started fifth. Yeah, we were like nobody else was talking about him. Looked greatness in his duel, and then almost won the Daytona 500. Uh, Chris yeah. Busher started ninth. He finished fourth. Bowman, who started on the pole, finished fifth. You know, just looking at starting positions versus finishing positions here. Blaney started seventh, finished eighth. But we talk about the stages. There was only one driver that finished in the top ten in both stages, and it was Chris Busher. Finished third mm-hmm. in stage one, ninth in stage two. Um, everyone else, you know, only finished top ten in one stage. You know, like you said, Keselowski won that first stage. Ross Chastain actually won the second stage. He ended up finishing ninth at the end of the race. And then our boy Riley Herbst, I know we were both heavy on him in DFS, um, finished with a top ten finish there for Rick Ware Racing. Speaking of D- DFS, you know, Ty Dillon was, was my highest owned play. So that was Same. very, dis- very disappointing to, uh, for him to be out. I don't even think he made it 30 laps. You know, he had an engine problem with that Spire car, but the fact that I still profited, um, in the mini max by a dollar, I, I won 76. I played 75 in that, in that contest with 45% Ty Dillon. The fact that I could still profit tells me that my process was pretty damn solid, even without, you know, being yeah, for sure. I think, yeah. um, I mean, I didn't profit, but I was playing the Millie. So unless you're finishing top five or so, you're not profiting in that. So yeah. it's fine. I'm not worried about that. You know, it's the same. It's going to be the same thing every year until the Millie structure is better, which it never will be. Uh, but if I had played right. a better structure, I feel like I could have come close to breaking even or profit a little bit. So I'm totally happy with the process. I thought it was totally fine as far as DFS. It just obviously didn't work out, especially with Ty Dillon our heaviest driver uh, being the first one to go out and finishing dead last. That is never Mm going to help your day. Uh, So I'm again, I'm totally fine with the process. And uh, I had Riley Herbst on two of my three $500 lineups. So I felt pretty good about that as well. Yeah. And that's the most frustrating thing. Like as a, as a DFS player is when they don't even get in a wreck, they just blow an engine on lap 26, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's just, just sitting there watching the race. You're like, well, my day's done early. And it's it's just frustrating, but you know what? It happens. It, it could go the exact opposite way at times, um, but you know that's what it is. Um, as far as other other things to talk about with Daytona, I feel like the rest of our conversation is going to be our wine about it topic. So let's get right into that. This is wine yeah. about it, presented by Louvabella Winery. Nick, I'm going to let you kick this thing off because I know we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, first of all, I'm excited to get my Luvabella wines. They just got shipped today. So uh, for the next episode, I should have a nice glass of, of wine. I don't know which one I will choose, but I should have a nice glass for our Wine About It segment, courtesy of Luvabella Wines. That said, I am going to whine about people whining. Um, which is pretty funny. (laughs) This is just ironic at this point. I know, right? It it is ironic. But uh, there were three things I saw people whining about, mostly on Twitter. Uh, There were more things, but I I think three things that I was kind of like, stop whining about these things. So first was the the Daniel Suarez caution late in the race, uh, 
where you know Kyle Busch said he would have won the race if this had been a 500-mile race. Well, yeah, NASCAR did throw the caution quickly, but Suarez ended up stuck in the grass anyway before they ever came back around to the line, so they would have had to throw, throw it anyway. So yeah. that doesn't matter. Stop saying – I mean, maybe NASCAR did have a quick trigger, but – uh, he got stuck anyway, so as far as influencing the outcome, it didn't. Um, I think, obviously, had Suarez been able to get into pit lane and keep going, then it would have been bad. But I, I've seen people be like, well, it's not fair to Kyle Busch. He would have won the race. No, he got Suarez got stuck in the grass. So they would have thrown the caution anyway it, once he was stuck because that is 100% a safety issue. You can't have cars coming around 200 miles an hour, 40 of them or, or 20 of them, uh, in a pack ready to wreck in the same spots. I mean, that's where we also saw Riley Herbst wreck. So uh, you, you definitely have to throw the caution there. Number two, uh, obviously people whining about the commercials. I was one of them. But once the data was presented, I stopped whining about it because – exactly. It was it was very clear they front loaded the commercials and it was no more than any other year, and I think uh, there's two sides to this, right? Like I know NASCAR and Fox, especially, they have to make their money, otherwise we don't get this racing on TV. I do think there is a little component of maybe Fox mailing it in because their contract runs out after next year, mm. but uh, at the same time. The data is the data, and I'm a data guy, so we can't really complain about the commercials too much, even though it felt like it. I I think it was an anchoring bias because we were anchored to what we initially saw, which was commercial, 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 to start the race. But in the end, it was a lot better. And it was the first time that they've done this. So I don't know if you saw the tweets. I think it was Mike Joy or, or Larry Mack was on Twitter saying, Fox hired a new producer, and this was his vision. For this race, he wanted to be able to show as much as possible at the end of the race. So he mm. purposely front loaded commercials. Like we can't deny that the the commercials were front loaded. But Absolutely. when you under when you understand that, you it makes a lot of sense. Like to me, I was like, okay, I'm not going to p- complain about commercials anymore because it makes sense in the overall grand scheme of things that they want to show more at the end of the race. Yeah, and then my my third thing, I'm going to whine about people whining about the end of the race because. NASCAR is in a no-win situation there. They either end the race under caution and everybody whines that they didn't get to see green flag racing to the end, or they do overtime and then everybody complains that Kyle Busch didn't win and Dale Earnhardt would have won, or they you know, have a race to this line, or there's no perfect solution that's going to make everybody happy. So everybody is going to whine just because they want to about whichever way it goes, and... Yeah. Unless NASCAR throws an absolute horseshit caution like they did in the All Star race, for example, and uh, you know even then that that didn't end the race. Uh, you know NASCAR is in a in a box; they can't do anything to please everyone. And I see this when the Indy 500 ends under caution. You got to be kidding me! They didn't race to the finish. What the hell, right? Like I see it on Twitter all the time when the Indy yeah. 500 ends that way, all the time. But then you see them ending in overtime, and it's, well, well Kyle Busch would have won, and blah, blah. Just, it's got to end some way, shape, or form. So whatever rules we play under, they all play under the same rules. Every single car out there plays under the same rules. So I don't care how it ends, as long as it doesn't end with a bullshit caution, right? Uh, yeah. I'm totally fine with whatever rules they put out there to end the race they want the way they want to do. Even the year when they had the overtime line and Harvick gamed the system, anybody could have gamed the system. Harvick was the one who did at Talladega that year. It sucked, and that's why they changed it. But 
at least everybody's playing under the same system. So there's nothing unfair about any of this. And even Kyle Busch himself, you know, saying I would have, I would have won this if it was 1998. Sure you would have, but it's not 1998. So move on. Right. Yeah. And, and people are going to make a big deal about Kyle Busch's comments, you know, uh, that's Kyle Busch. You you interview him after a yes. race, after he wrecks out, when he has a chance to win, especially a big race like Daytona, he's going to have that. And I I I have always said that I think the sport needs more of that. I think the sport needs more Kyle Busch's in it. Yes, it can be Agreed. annoying at times, but at the same time, he did make a good like he he clearly does not like this type of racing. Like he mm-hmm. he literally said when we come down just to figure out when we're going to wreck. So. Um, but I, I kind of want to go back to your Suarez thing because yes, he ended up in the grass, but what if he wouldn't have? Because then it would have well, been a I quick. Said. It would have been a quick, too, too quick of a trigger. You know, I just wanted to reiterate yes. that point. Yeah, it's, oh, I hundred percent agree with that. My point was when the, the not the whining about the caution itself or like the quick trigger, but saying that that influenced okay. the race because it it didn't end up influencing the race because he still NASCAR still would have had to throw the caution. And I, I admit it was a quick, quick trick. I even said so. Like, why are they throwing the caution as I watched it live? And then when he ended up in the grass, it was like, well, doesn't matter anyway now. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with the quick trigger. That's not what I'm whining about. I'm whining about the people saying Kyle Busch would have won if they NASCAR hadn't thrown the caution quickly. Well, no NASCAR would have thrown the caution anyway. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I it, get it was, what you're It's a little results-oriented, but at the same time, NASCAR didn't influence the outcome of that race. Yeah, and and as far as like racing back to the line in that situation, I've I saw people like legitimately post TikToks and tweet, "Well, they should have just raced back to the line anyway." You had ten cars stopped in turn one. You're going to let cars come around at 200 miles an hour and hope they get slowed down by the time they hit turn one because the cars that wrecked aren't going to move. They're not going right. to be able to just get out of the way. Like, what are you people talking about? Like, that is that's how people die right there. Like, what? Oh, that that is some of the insane shit that that I saw this week. I I did see uh, another decent um, like proposition, and that's putting a second finish line like on the one. track. Yeah, second finish line on the track on the backstretch. You know, mm-hmm. if race to that. Yeah, if, if if that same situation happens. And that's different from the overtime. Let's be clear. That is different yes. from the overtime yep. line. Uh, the overtime line was if they wreck after they have crossed this line, then the race is finished. But this is if they've wrecked, we race to that line. Or if they're past that line, we race to the finish line. Because halfway around the track, if, if they're wrecking on turn three and four, uh, or, or let's say, sorry, turn one and two, then you race to the back stretch. Well, you're not coming back around to one and two at full speed. So I actually think that's a great solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's what it would do. Because if there's a wreck in turn one, they're racing to that. If there's a wreck in turn three, they're racing to the finish line. So so we get a we get a race to the finish either way. Exactly. I, I love that idea. And, I and we keep it safe. And the other thing is you can still roll the safety cars out there while they're racing to turn to the finish line, if, if, if you know, the, the crashes in turn three and four or whatever, you can still roll the safety cars on the backstretch because the field's already cleared. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't make it any less safe. And so I think it's a really interesting and solid solution. Um, as with any solution, though, there's probably going to be a way that it ends up breaking. Yeah. But yeah. there's never going to be anything perfect, I don't think, as far as how to end the race. Right. Yeah. I'm with you on there. Uh, my, my second complaint or my first complaint, I don't even know. I haven't even gotten to mine yet. <laughs> I was going to say, what's your whine about it? <laughs> okay. My first, my first complaint is just Ty Gibbs. I already hated this guy. 
I hated this guy. And then his him fucking over the Toyotas in stage one. Like I said, Keselowski made a great move. I'm going to stick with that, that he made a great move. And it's it was a difficult position for Ty Gibbs. But at the same time, Ty Gibbs just gave up. He did not even try to block Kez, didn't try to do anything. He just gave up and got out of line. And the reason I'm most pissed, and this is going to be like a little hypocritical from some things I've said in the past, I had Truex 30 to 1 to win stage one. I mean, I was I had Hamlin 16 to 1 to win yeah. stage one. I was looking so gold. And then Ty Gibbs, of course it's Ty Gibbs. It has to be Ty Gibbs. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, I was so mad, mad. Man, I was like, because I love those bets, and it just They're irritates me. Because I, I had friends on those bets, too. We were all watching it together, and, and that's just the most frustrating thing for me. But it was right there, you know. Can't, can't I, man. I couldn't believe it. I was rooting for you. I I was only on the uh, the Truex bet, but I liked the Hamlin and – sorry, not the Truex, the, um, the Kyle Busch bet, but Kyle I liked Bush, the yeah. Truex and Hamlin bets. And I still think the Kyle Busch bet was a good bet, given how good his car was. Um, so yeah. it just didn't obviously work out with the pits and, and everything like that. But I will say, though, I still don't think Keselowski necessarily made as good a move as much as Ty fucked it up, and it just opened the door for Kez and the Fords. I can go either way. I, like, before tonight, before I re-watched the end of stage one, literally before we got on this podcast, I I was like, okay, Keselowski might have made a pretty good move here. But before that, it was I was Ty Gibbs was dead to me. Um, excuse me. By the way, I'm not drinking tonight. I know you might have a little bit in your drink, but we're not doing the beers tonight for the first time in a while. I need my body needs to detox bad. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have a beer or two on the show, but uh, right now I'm starting off with some, some hot chocolate. I didn't, I didn't even set the I didn't even set the line today because I knew I wasn't drinking and yeah. But okay, number two, I'm gonna I want to talk about the broadcast. Obviously, the whole commercials thing, everybody's talking about that. Everybody's talking about how Fox has mailed it in. The announcers is what irritated the most me the most on Sunday. At the end of the race, when that final wreck happened and the most exciting time, we just we just decided, or the, the winner was just decided when the caution came out, the, the most monotone announcing I've ever heard. It was Clint Boyer. He said, oh, Kyle Busch is going to make a move. Oh, he got turned. And then... That that's exactly his voice. What it sounded like, and then Mike Joy was like, "And the caution comes out." It's like, wh- can you show any excitement? The biggest race of the year, the most casual fans watching, and and you sound like you're t- like just about to go to bed. Yeah, I, don't don't get me wrong. I think Clint Boyer's really good in the booth. I think he's really entertaining. I think adding Tony Stewart in there was a good move. But that was the most disappointing part of it. I I could not believe it. And even even like the the announcing at the end of the stages, just stuff where people are racing to the line. It was all just so. It's like they were disinterested. And man, that just irritates me. Because you know for a fact, you know even even Rick Allen, Dale Jr. would have been ecstatic. He would have been going oh, crazy yeah. oh, at yeah. the end of that race. Rick Allen would have been going crazy. I hate Rick Allen, but I wish Rick Allen at was least, in the booth for Daytona 500. But at least year. he shows emotion. Yeah. Even if as much as we hate him and, and how dumb he is, at least he shows emotion. Um, and I watched it back today, uh, I think for the first time since Sunday. I didn't watch it yesterday. Uh, but I, mean, I mostly slept yesterday. But uh, So I watched the, fi- the final few laps back today for the first time because, you know, when you're in the moment and you've got sweating all these bets and stuff, I... I was I was worked up and excited, 
And I do feel like I remember in the moment being like, huh, that just, I don't really remember how it ended. It didn't, you know, it, I mean, I remembered how it ended, but I didn't feel like it was like the TV giving it to me gripping. I, it was more like my own excitement. And I watched it back today knowing the results. I was like, man, that was like, that was boring. Not the finish itself, but just the, the excitement wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so I totally agree with you. I just thought that was like very anticlimactic. Yeah. And, you know, I've said what I've said about the Fox broadcast itself, just how bad they are at, at video in general for this sport. Uh, Darren Ravel actually had a good tweet. He said, I, uh, I'm not gonna be able to find it that quick, but he basically said, um, you know, any casual fan watching that Daytona 500 won't be back. You know, they're not, that, that did nothing to, to bring more fans to the sport and, you know, the fact Completely. that it was Fox and yeah, it just embarrassing. But uh, one final thing I want to talk about, and that's people that don't understand NASCAR betting. Very quick on this, you had a you had an exchange with a guy on Twitter about this. Um, NASCAR is not like other sports. We talked about this last week. NASCAR is not like other sports. You're not going to win a significant percent of bets, especially if you're betting outrights. But it's the fact that with other sports, if you're betting the spread, you're usually betting minus 110 odds. NASCAR, you're getting 8 eight to 1 or usually longer odds on these drivers. So you're going to lose a lot. And and I, I try to tell this to all my friends that are getting into NASCAR betting, be prepared to lose a lot. It's a very long season. And it's a very long process. But if you trust the process and you get and, and you're smart about this, you're going to make money. It's it's we've proven it time and time again. You and I both have. You're going to make money as long as you're smart with your bets, but just be prepared to lose. And people that another part of people that don't understand NASCAR betting are also people that give out bets themselves. I'm, I'm throwing them into this category and don't understand to shop around for odds like they're they're stuck with one book. So they just tweet out the odds from that book and then bet on that. When, for example, a guy could be 40 to one at one book and 30 to one at his book, and he's going to give away the 30 to one. Everyone needs to do their own research. But if you're following somebody that's giving away betting picks, you need to make sure that they're checking for the best odds because as we, we saw it early, early this week for auto club. Like right now, I think Byron's at twelve to one on on uh, Caesars, maybe, and he's eighteen to one on FanDuel. Like that is a massive difference. That's a massive difference. So just make sure you're getting the best lines, and uh, yeah, just any dumb people that don't understand NASCAR betting, just please just if you come after somebody, that's fine. But when you get put in your place and you get proven, by the way, I just noticed I was wrong. Truex also finished top 10 in both stages. There's there's squirrel moment with my brain. <laughs> it, it happens. I, I still but, like it, though, because if only two drivers finished in the top 10 in both stages, then our two-plus stage win bet was, like, fucking good. And, yes. I mean, I, honestly, it wasn't close. Like, the only risk there was Kez maybe winning the race at the end, but even then that didn't come close. So, uh yeah, we absolutely smashed that, and it was. It, I mean, you even get people questioning that. Did you really bet that? Of course we did. 
Of yeah, course like, you did. That's, yeah, and that's the final thing I'm going to say on this. People saying that we don't bet what we put out, why would we do that? Like, why, what do we have to gain by putting out bets that we don't actually bet? We, I mean, if you listen to last week's episode, you could basically hear us putting those bets in. Yeah, there was exactly. a, there was like a solid thirty seconds of silence because we're both trying to get these bets in because we knew yeah. what how crazy that line was and we were just trying to get it in because we knew it was going to move and obviously it did. You know, ten minutes later it's minus two eighty. So yeah. yeah, so that's all I have to say. That's going to conclude our seg our wine about wine about it segment this week. Again, presented by Louvabella Wines. You can find them in Kroger, Meyer, Walmart, several states, including North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia. And next week, hopefully, I, I hopefully you get your wines in time. I have a couple here already, um, but we will we will definitely be trying them and, and saying our thoughts there. But oh yeah, for sure. Uh, um, you know, moving on to auto. By the way, uh, real quick. By the way. Louvabella Winery, LB Wines, LB Winery. My dog is LB. He's sitting right here. Just wanted to throw that out there. That per- was kind of cool of a coincidence. Com- perfect yeah. combination. So uh, but, we've got a little mascot here for, for our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, moving on to Auto Club and I have the, is it Pala Casino 400? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Pala Casino. I'm, I'm assuming that's how you I don't even know it, the sponsor but, names. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, this was a little wild race last year because Tyler Reddick dominated it, led 90 laps, won both stages, had a tire go down, hit the wall. Byron seemed to be coming on later in that race. Um, he ended, he got caught up in that issue with Reddick, so he his day was done. Eric Jones actually had the best um, green flag speed in that race. He had the best average running position in that race. He ended up finishing third. By the way, Eric Jones at Auto Club, I don't know if people know this, but he's really good here. Like, mm-hmm. he's He has the second best average finish here of all yeah. drivers. Like He's yeah, really good guy, I started doing uh, like two years ago, and I know other people have started uh, doing it as well, but what I call driver quality, other people call it rating versus average or whatever. Um but I call it driver quality, uh, so I'll say like track quality or type quality if it's if I'm looking at a bunch of different tracks like that are similar, I'll call it type quality. But track quality for Eric Jones, he's one of the top two drivers in terms of track quality, so this being one of his best tracks. So if you take his year-long driver rating or whatever other stat, your average running position, whatever you want to take, I use driver rating because it kind of rolls in a few different things together. If you take his year-long driver rating and then his auto club driver rating, that normalizes it for the equipment he's in that year, right? So if he's in Joe Gibbs racing equipment, he'll have a higher driver rating than if he's in Legacy or Petty or whatever it ends up being in various years. He'll, so then you can compare it to that driver rating and get like a percentage above or below. Uh, so I started doing that two or three years ago, and uh, Eric Jones is one of the top couple in that metric. And I don't do it over the whole career. I just do it over the last whatever ends up being the most statistically significant for that race. So that's why I have something called a feature selection algorithm that picks out, is it one race? Is it three races? Is it eight races? Is it a weighted average of races? Um, so for Auto Club, I found that uh, the eight most recent Non-DNF races at Auto Club is the thing to have, and Eric Jones is one of the top ones there for sure. So um, you're right. He's he's super good at Auto Club. And I posted an article earlier today about, you know, sportsbooks got hammered hard last year with NASCAR betters. 
There was there was a lot of uh, long shots at one, and just overall, Sharps hammered the books last year. And and Bovada opened up this week. Eric Jones two hundred to one. I don't think these books like learned anything from last year because while we didn't get any onshore books posting that absurd of a number, DraftKings still opened him at fifty. Yep. Quickly got bet down to thirty. Yep. And, you know, same with Byron was another one that moved a lot, and Reddick was a one, one that moved a lot. Um, Reddick's you know, the one I loved because yeah. I wasn't – so remember last year, JGR was having the overheating issues, or Toyota was having the overheating issues. Well, they, they addressed that, and they got better as the year went on, and especially at some of these mile-and-a-half and high-wear tracks, they got really good. And this is, again, like uh, Eric Jones, is one of Reddick's better tracks – and we know he's good at Homestead and Darlington as well, but he's also been really good at this track. So I said, at worst, his move from RCR to JG or to, sorry to twenty three eleven uh, is a lateral move. At worst, and it potentially could be an upgrade. Yeah. So how could we pass on the guy who had the most dominant car last year at this track, potentially getting an upgrade? And uh, you know, I, I I just don't see any reason we can pass up on him at fifteen to one. And yeah. you know what he ended up being in my model? He ended up being third most likely to win in my model um, at 9.4% to win. Uh, so that's just behind Larson and Hamlin. So he ends up third most likely in my model to win at 9.4%. 15 to 1 was just too long. He actually opened 16 to 1 at Westgate, and I missed that. He got that down to 12. But then uh, DraftKings opened him up 15, so I was uh, able to get him there and uh, – yeah, just really, really uh, good driver, really good driver, and uh, especially at these high wear tracks, 15 one was a steal, but you're right. Got bit down immediately to 12, and then, like you said, the, the Eric Jones opening was pretty crazy. The only reason I hesitated on Eric Jones, and, and I don't feel bad about this, is there's a lot of uncertainty this year. There's mm-hmm. going to be uncertainty. Are the Fords going to get better? Um, obviously, JGR's performance was down last year at this track, so in a model... Uh, it could be my model could be underweighting the Toyotas even a little bit. Uh, so if it is, then Eric Jones suddenly becomes a little bit worse, air quote worse, because those Toyotas get better relative to what he did last year. So I felt like, well, if the Toyotas are getting better, then at least Reddick's also getting better. And at worst, if they're the same, well, that's already baked into Reddick's number there. So um, that's why I went with Reddick instead of Jones because I really don't want to put a lot on this race. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, and one thing we do know, and I sent you this graph earlier in the week, 10-lap average correlates so incredibly strongly with green flag speed at Auto Club that mm-hmm. I just want to see practice. Now, probably not going to get not practice. We're going to see it. That's gonna, the thing. Oh, there, there's multiple reasons we're not going to see practice, not just because of the rain. Even if we find a break in the rain... Auto Club is such an old track that we're going to get the weepers. The water's going to seep up through the yeah. cracks in the track, and we're going to get the weepers, and it's such a massively big track. They're going to be all over the place. So I have a very hard time thinking we're going to get practice in this weekend. So at some point, we're going to have to commit to some bets. Um, but I just don't want to yet until all the props are out, all everything is out, because then I'll feel better about like knowing which markets I want to target. And I do think because of the potential – Ford nose advantage or this, that, or the JGR getting better, Toyota getting better compared to last year at this track. I do want to potentially just shop manufacturer markets, top Ford, top Toyota, top Chevy, because then you're only competing against those other same 
makes. Um, and that way, it's a little bit easier. You don't have to worry about, well, what if the Fords are dominant? I can just compare Chevys to Chevys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll go ahead and admit, I got a little too trigger happy uh, with my bets early on in the week. I'm, I'm normally not a an early week better, but I just got I got so excited at Eric Jones on Bovada. I was able to lock him out. Lock, well, they, they moved him to 50 by the time they actually accepted the bet there, which I'm still fine with. Like, I don't have a ton on it. Um, I don't have really have a t- like I don't even have a full unit out there yet. So, or a hundred dollars if you guys want to know what the hell we're talking about then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know I hit Reddick fifteen to one. I hit Byron eighteen to one, and then he opened up twenty to one on Bet three sixty five. So I hit him again. Um, I yeah I will admit I got too trigger happy, and we talked about this on our live stream for Daytona, um, on my YouTube channel. People that bet like a ton of drivers, and I don't really. Like it, that's if that's your strategy, go for it. I don't really do that. Kind of being a little hypocritical right now, but I just, I, I just felt there was value everywhere, and I still think there's going to be value out there. Now, the Ford thing is 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 very concerning because we look at you know the average uh, high wear intermediate tracks total speed ranking average. Now, this is on iFantasyRace.com. If you guys have never checked out that site. Make sure you go. Yeah, you have her. to. You have to. Ryan, Ryan, who who runs that site, I there's one. Um, <laughs> Ryan, who who runs that site, I I want to get him on the show this year. Yes, um, absolutely. Talk to him because I want to know how much time he spends in a week on NASCAR, on fancy NASCAR, because there's no way he has like there is so much information. He does so much on that site. There, it is well worth. I don't even know what he charges, but it's. Amazing. Um, one of the best sites out there. But high wear and immediate tracks, total speed rankings over there on iFantasy Race. Number one. Now, this is taking into account Auto Club, Darlington, Darlington 2, and Homestead from last year. Number one, Joey Logano. That's my concern right there. Because if Ford mm-hmm. has a significant advantage, Logano's going to be really good, and Blaney's going to be really good because this is a really good track for Blaney. Now, Logano actually opened 10 to 1. He got moved back to 12 to 1. Which is Logano seven and a half percent in my model. That's that's pretty par for the course for Penske because books tend to undervalue Penske. And the thing is, this is what I don't mind waiting if we if we get practice and qualifying, waiting to bet Logano to see what see what their speed is or Blaney and or Blaney. Because typically books aren't gonna move them like they are a Kyle Larson who comes out and shows a ton of speed in practice. They're gonna keep them kind of in that range. They might move them down to ten, nine, but they're not gonna like like Larson right now is plus six fifty, I think, in most books. They're not gonna move them down in that range. Number two, William Byron. This is why I like William, William Byron. Byron. He's, he's so so Byron good. I couldn't believe he was twenty to one. And I also, by the way, uh, Alex Bowman. Oh, I love twenty one to twenty one to one. And you know why? Remember who was really, really, legitimately good at every single high wear track last year? Mm-hmm. Michael McDowell. Mm-hmm. Guess who now has Michael McDowell's Blake crew chief from last oh, year? Oh, I know. Like, we talked this about could, this earlier. I love yes. Bowman this week. The we problem talk, is, we, I, problem is twenty-two to one is just not quite there. Like I wanted thirty, yep. even twenty-five. Yeah. I would have taken. But um, 22 is, like, right on the border of, like, I probably just want to wait for practice and see if books don't adjust enough, that kind of thing. But I will say, um, I love I love Byron. I love him at 18-1. to 1, But 
Now the top manufacturer bets are out. Eight to one top Chevy at the Canby books is even better value on William Byron. Yeah, so I like that. I am definitely because they're going to be overvaluing uh, Larson so much. Yeah, so I'm definitely taking that. And I mean, I have William Byron as the third most likely Chevy to win, but the second best Chevy in terms of like top ten odds, even ahead of Chase Elliott. So he's one that I have like, even though I don't necessarily have peak upside with him compared to Elliott, I have much more top ten potential for William Byron in this. And that what that ends up doing is it makes him in my top Chevy odds, makes him the number two Chevy at twelve point nine percent to finish as top Chevy. So if we if we do the calculation there, calculator uh, one divided by zero point one two nine, that makes him about six seventy five fair, and we're getting eight to one. So uh, I, I definitely like the William Byron top Chevy. Uh, speaking of Chevy and and. This kind of like it's early in the season, so there's a lot of stuff I forget about changes. Some guy that's finished third or better in three of the last four races here is now in the car that was the best, the fastest here last year, mm-hmm. and that's Kyle Busch. Yep. Kyle Busch, and you know everybody's talking about Reddick. Seems like one of those weeks where you know the race is going to happen. We're going to be like, oh yeah, Kyle Busch is now in that car and he's mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. Because you remember back to last year's uh, race at Auto Club, Austin Dillon finished second. Did he deserve it? No, he didn't no. run that well all day. Just like Kyle Larson, he won the race. He didn't have the best car that day. But yeah, the two the two absolute like I can't say luck boxes, but the two guys that had the absolute most flattering finish last year were Austin Dillon and Daniel Suarez. Those two guys were mid teens at best all day, and then they finished both in the top what three or four. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was ridiculous. It was uh, Larson, Dylan, Jones, Suarez was top four. Yeah, um, and even Eric Amarola snuck in there at, at sixth. It was just a, I remember this race. It was such a dumb race because there were so many cars that started in the back from mm-hmm. uh, practice issues, like uh, unapproved adjustments. Harvick started thirty second, Chastain thirty third, Bubba thirty fourth, Justin Haley thirty fifth, Kurt Busch dead last thirty sixth. You know, DFS wise, I it was just dumb. Like those weeks, I hate those weeks, one hundred percent. And I think you know NASCAR's gotten better with that, and the teams have gotten better. But so um, you mentioned Chastain, and he is one guy that is absolutely going to fly under the radar because of how that race played out. So, like mm. you said, he came from the back, so he had to move through the field. And when you move through the field like that, your green flag speed is going to be hampered, right? Like it is harder to get fast laps when you're passing cars. And then Ross finally gets into the top, like, six, and he spins out or blows a tire or something like that and has terrible speed the rest of the race. So it's going to look like Ross didn't have a good race, but he had a very good car. And that's also going to hamper him in statistical models because there's no way to, like, there might be, but in certain ways there's it's very hard to account for that. So I think my model could be underrating Ross Chastain, and I have him five and a half percent to win. I think it'd be underrating him. Uh, but but you're right. That was such a weird race, and I I very vividly remember it just because it was like the second race of the year, and there were so many different things that happened, and uh, it was it was just not a to weird mention one. like the, even even when the, Tyler Reddick had his problem, like William Byron hit him. William Byron was running like second most of that race, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, Reddick and Byron are like the arguably the two best cars and uh, not took each other out, but they got taken out in the same incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then you throw in, you know, like you said, the Toyota overheating thing, and it was just a mm-hmm. it was a weird race. It was Stenhouse just, was awesome that race. Stenhouse, Stenhouse was, was so really good. good. He had a he had a top five car in practice, and he had a top five car in the race. But every single restart, he fell back, um, and so it just it bit him. But I I remember right off the bat, I live bet him three hundred to one because he was flying through the field. And mm-hmm. he got up into the top three at one point. I think he finished inside the top six in that first stage. I can't remember the exact number uh, of his finishing position, but he definitely got into the top three on that first stint or two in stage one uh, before I think after a restart or two, settling into maybe around sixth in stage one. But uh, he was so good that race. So Westgate opened him 300 to one. And uh, so I took 10 bucks on him there because why the heck not? Yeah. Um. There was there was someone who, okay, yeah. So we talk about Auto Club and being able to pass and everything. So Kyle Larson had to start in the back in that race, um, not officially, but just had to go to the back. And I'm checking out I Fancy Race right now and the race notes from that race. Kyle Larson started in the back. He was up to 16th by lap eight, starting dead last. So it's it's just something to keep in mind here with Auto Club. The fast cars are going to get up there, and and the guys that. Yep. The guys that are really good at managing their tires and are good at high wear tracks are going to excel and should have good cars. Now, we talk about similar tracks frequently. High wear tracks, high wear intermediate tracks, Auto Club, Darlington, and Homestead. We often uh, throw in Michigan when we talk about Auto Club because it's a sister track. Any other tracks? Like. I know. That's, that's the weird thing. <laughs> I don't thing, use right? Michigan at all. I know they're other both people two, do two just for tracks. the high speed, but because yeah, they're both two mile tracks, and, and you need horsepower, but you don't need as much horsepower at Auto Club because you're lifting in the corners because you have absolutely no grip uh, halfway through the run, or even not even halfway through, like five laps into the run. So mm. they're not quite the same. So I don't even really use Michigan. The other thing is, like, let's look at somebody like Ryan Blaney. He's terrible at Homestead and Darlington, but he's so yeah. good at Auto Club, and he was yeah. really good at Atlanta which is more like Auto Club. So I look at old Atlanta uh, or Chicagoland. Those are more like Auto mm. Club than Darlington or Homestead just because those are what we call true ovals where they essentially have 180-degree corners. Um, not quite with Darlington. Obviously, it's egg-shaped, but it's the same idea, and they're steeply banked, whereas these others are more tri-oval, uh, so, or, or in Atlanta's case, quad-oval, but you get the idea. It has a tri- or quad-oval, and so the turns aren't the 180-degree radius turns, and they tend not to be as steeply banked. So I really like looking at Atlanta, which drivers do well at Atlanta, because those often do well at Auto Club Speedway as well. And that's Ryan Blaney was really good at Atlanta, if you remember that, old Atlanta. So mm-hmm. if you're building a statistical model and you're including – Homestead and Darlington, I think that's totally fine because you have to because there are drivers like Larson, like Reddick, uh, who are great at all of these, including Auto Club. But then there are some that aren't. So that's why so heavily uh, in my model when I do a feature selection algorithm. So again, I don't pick the variables that go in the model. A algorithm picks the ones that are most statistically significant. There's ways to do that so that I remove my own bias uh, from what I think is important. And Auto Club itself 
track history, specific track history shows up as very important as well. And that's why Ryan Blaney isn't penalized as hard, despite having a rough Homestead or Darlington history. And, uh, you know, that's why Eric Jones isn't penalized as hard for having a rough Homestead history, even though we know he's really good at Darlington and Auto Club. So um, it, it, it definitely, there is a track specific element to this as well. And when I would do various different track type combination or various different track combinations with like throwing in Michigan or throwing in Pocono for like high speed stuff, it didn't enhance the predictability any. So I'm just sticking with the high wares. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And, uh, you know, note for anybody that doesn't follow NASCAR as, as closely as we do Atlanta, you cannot you can take 2022 Atlanta races out. Um, yeah. They, they repaved, reconfigured, completely different track, races completely different than old Atlanta did. But, yeah, you mentioned uh, drivers that run well at old Atlanta. Kyle Busch pops again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like The more I'm talking about, the more I'm looking. Kyle Busch is just becoming one of my – like really want to keep an eye on him this weekend for sure. Uh, Alex Bowman was another one that, um, you know, before the yep. repay of the, the two races in 2021, he finished third and fourth. So, And he won at Chicagoland, uh, yep. which is another high wear, mile and a half tri-oval. So um, I really like Alex Bowman this weekend. And, of course, Brad Keselowski was really good at all the high wears last year. Uh, all of them. So, And he's always been good at California Auto Club, uh, Fontana, whatever, whichever one you want to name it. Keselowski's always been good at this track as well. So from a... Ford perspective, I think he fits in interesting into the Ford lineup. Uh, obviously, Logano should be the favorite, and then Blaney probably should be second. Harvick probably should be third, but it's close. With think with Kazowski and and maybe even Austin Sindrick. Uh I think those 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 are definitely the three in line after the Penske's in whichever order you want to put. I should say the top two Penske's because Sindrick's a Penske, but. Cindric, Harvick, Keselowski, in whatever order you want to put them, um, I, I think they're all pretty close as far as the next Ford that I would take. Uh, and I guess you could throw, I guess you could throw Chris, uh, sorry, not Chris Busher, um, Chase Briscoe, the other CB. Oh, there's Christopher Bell too. A lot of CBs, but uh, oh. you could uh, you could throw um, Chase Briscoe in there as well. But my model has him lower than even Keselowski uh, for for this race. So we talked about how important 10 lap averages here at auto club um how older um or other high wear and immediate tracks compare well anything else that you've found that is of significant statistical value for predicting a race at auto club like i said just the practice um we're not probably Mm -hmm. not going to get that but if there is if we do somehow get it and there are books that don't adjust enough on practice i try not to overreact to practice but, but given how little information we have early in the season and how much practice correlates with performance at Auto Club, I have no problem overreact not overreacting, but reacting enough if the books don't react enough. Especially a lot of times last year we saw books books react on qualifying more than they reacted yeah. on practice. So if the books are gonna react on qualifying more than they react on practice, that's where I want to take advantage. But again, there's no guarantee we get practice. In fact, it's probably more likely we don't get practice based off of the forecasts we see right now. I'm I'm concerned that if they even race on Sunday, from what I've seen. Oh, I agree. I, I don't necessarily think they're going to race on Sunday. I, it, this very well could be a Monday race. Um, it's supposed to rain through, through Sunday. And even if it stops early Sunday, the weepers coming up could 
just postpone it till Monday anyway because you can't race when water is seeping up through the track. I mean, we see what happens when you get even just the start of a rain shower at, at Daytona and the whole field wrecks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now, forecast for Friday is 100% chance of rain. Saturday, 98.98% chance of rain. And Sunday, 33% chance of rain in Fontana, which is a little, I mean, that's pretty uh, encouraging, I guess, for a Sunday race, but high of 49, so it's going to be cold. Yeah, it's going to be, be harder cold to drive the track there. when it's cold. And uh, I don't know what the wind is, but heat and wind help dry the track faster. But the problem is... It doesn't matter. The wind doesn't matter from the weepers because they're coming up from underneath the track surface. So that's not going to help dry the top of the track surface. And the cold is not going to help at all because you want to – the weepers, you need the heat to get them evaporated uh, and to flush that water out. So I very much worry whether we can even get this race in on Sunday if – Auto Club is susceptible to weepers, like old Texas was. That's why they repaid Texas. Remember, we were getting races there where weepers would prevent them from restarting the race. Even though it was perfectly clear sky, nothing going on, they couldn't get the track dry because water was seeping back up through the track. Mm-hmm. Going to switch gears here for a second because I did ask if anybody had any questions for us. Uh, and I, I think this is a very good one. Um. What do you guys think about the Fantasy Racing World Championship on DraftKings? Is it worth chasing? Now, my personal experience with the that and it was what was it King of the Speedway the year before? Both years I qualified really early, so I didn't have to chase it. Now, last year I qualified and I actually qualified both years at the Atlanta race. Um, the first Atlanta race and last year you could have multiple entries. So the first year I was, I didn't have to chase it last year. I did, you know, I kept putting money into it. Um, when it comes to trying to get a second entry and and everything else. Now, my personal opinion on that is I really like playing the weeks where it's super chalk because the only thing that matters in those contests to qualify is first, you have to finish first. And people tend to go super cash lineup based in those contests as well, especially the higher dollar ones. If you're playing in the $111 or whatever they are, it's usually like 111 and 240 or something like that. Like a driver that's 50% owned in the big GPP, big GPP is going to be like 80% owned in this qualifier. I love playing weeks like that because I just fade the chalk because all you need is one thing to happen to them and all of a sudden you just have to have a, a, like you still have to have a good lineup, but if one thing happens to them, it takes out so much. So when it, when it comes to chase, I know it's like, I've done it before. It's easy to chase uh, and keep dumping money into it. But um, I think there are certain opportunities where it makes sense to play more of them. Um, but yeah, overall it, it's kind of like the Millie maker um, payout structure. You kind of like, Obviously, I'm co- I'm personally confident enough that I'm going to qualify, and I'm going to play it. But if you're like someone else that that doesn't have the confidence, like, and you're just kind of hoping to luck into one, maybe I wouldn't dump your money into them. You know, learn the learn DFS a little bit more, and and then kind of go after it. I that would be my personal opinion on it. What do you think? Um. It all comes down to your risk tolerance. If you're prepared to lose a lot of money, it's not easy to qualify. There's no guarantee you'll qualify. Um, 
if you're there's prepared, only a, there's a lot of money. Yeah, there, there's only 42 years ago, and there's only 100 like last year and this year. What was that? So two years ago, there was only 40 qualifiers, and then this Uh-oh. year and, yeah. and last well, year, there's only 100. The years I did it, there was only 16. Um, oh, so, God. And then I think the second time I qualified, maybe 20 or something. Um, but the first year I qualified, I got like two of the 16 spots, but it was also 2015, right? The first year of NASCAR DFS, and I mm. I hit two spots right away. Um, and uh, so I got to go to the Homestead Championship race and, that you know, Jeff Gordon's last race and all that stuff. Uh, that was a lot of fun. But one of the qualifiers I won, like you were talking about in the high dollar, is Kyle Larson started the back in the Coca-Cola 600, and he was 80-whatever percent. And I was like, all right, well because I can enter two lineups in this, I'll play one with Larson and one without, and I'll already guarantee I'll be underweight on him. And, of course, he wrecks. And I was like, especially because it was a 600-mile race, I was like, Larson is a, especially in his younger years in 2015, for those who don't remember, yeah. like, Larson was high upside but high downside. And Tyler Reddick. A lot, yeah, early season, early years Tyler Reddick especially. Um, very similar drivers. Uh, there was a lot of downside to Kyle Larson, and all I needed was that downside to hit, and that extra 100 miles I felt was a very good chance. And sure enough, Kyle Larson wrecked. He just straight up crashed. And uh, I think, you know, there was like five lineups that had Larson. I I easily had the best line. It wasn't even close that I cleaned up in that qualifier. But those are the spots to look for. But at the same time, I was probably playing every qualifier back then because I had such a monstrous edge. Like 2015 was people didn't know how to play NASCAR DFS like they do now. So I had just absolutely monstrous edges. Uh and then even in 2017 when I qualified, um, I honestly don't even remember how I did, but I did. Uh, or maybe it was 2017 was the, the Larson wreck. I remember 2015 I qualified. No, 2015 I think I just won a regular Charlotte qualifier. Um, and then I won the Martinsville because that was the race Kenseth wrecked Logano. And it was my birthday weekend. Mm. And Jeff Gordon won his final race. It was like the best day of my life. Um so I think the 2015, I think I just won a regular Charlotte, and then uh, I won the the uh, Martinsville one. But I think it was 2017 when I won my one other qualifier. It was just, like, so fucking easy. It was just, like, this is the dumbest shit. And, I, and like you, I think I won it in, like, the second or third week that they started doing qualifiers because they weren't doing them throughout the whole year then. It was like they waited until partway through the season to announce it or whatever. Um, I... I barely play DFS anymore. I play pretty much for Daytona and Daytona and maybe, maybe occasionally a Talladega or an Atlanta, but I just, uh, betting is not that DFS isn't profitable for me. I just don't have the desire to drive to a different state to play DFS, just to enter lineups, yeah. just to drive back, just to drive back to edit my lineups, just to drive back. So I only do it a couple times a year. So at this point, I'm probably not the best person to ask that question to anymore, <laughs> but I also wanted to say while you were talking, our favorite bet just came up. No, or any driver to win two plus stages, yes or no. Uh, but I think this is a much better line. <laughs> so I don't think we're betting it this week live on air. What, um, what's so the FanDuel line? posted their props. It is yes plus 140, no minus 230. Now, obviously, it's much more likely to be a, a yes at a track like Auto Club than a track like Daytona, where pretty much anybody can win a stage. Uh, so. I think this is a much more fair line. I'm not jumping to to bet it at minus two thirty or at plus one forty. 
Yeah. So, so there's no designation on here that says two plus stages, including the race win. Oh, that's a good point. Because last time it did say including it race win. It specifically said it. So now, now <laughs> there is no value, value on the no. Oh my goodness, that you're right. Because last time it absolutely specifically said including race win. Yes, and this it, time and it does it, not. It does not. And I mean, it, like me as a person, like I could definitely argue that the race win does not count as a stage. It makes me not want to bet it though, because just in case you get screwed over by them saying, "Oh, well, the race win does count as a stage," but. I would come back to them with like, well, there was a specific designation for the 500 that it included the race win. There is not that specific designation here, but it also says two plus. So why would they add the two plus instead of just saying win stage one and stage two or something? So that makes me want to avoid it even more because I don't want to get fucked over. But I honestly like I think I think common sense says that it means two plus stage the two stages and the race that counts as three. I wouldn't bet the yes at plus 140, but I do think there's a decent chance that it happens. Like, oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. But The problem is if you bet yes and they say, well, no, we just meant stage one and stage two. Or you bet no and they say, well, we meant stage one, stage two, and stage three, right? So we don't yeah. know. And the fact that it's not designated, I actually think, like, somebody needs to ask FanDuel, whether it's me or yeah. you or whoever. I don't, maybe I can talk I think, to Jim Sonis because he works for Number Fire, which is uh, partnership or whatever. I don't know the exact relationship between Number Fire and FanDuel, but um, I'll ask somebody because this is ridiculous. I think Greg Mathurin has a direct line to all sportsbook support as much as he talks to, to the support oh, yeah. staff. He's, he's very, uh, and I mean this in the best of ways, he's very um, on top of those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, Next question, you know, going back to the weather, is there any advantageous strategy that we can do to dial it back, or is there too many un- unknowns talking about, you know, betting? I, it, like, my my personal opinion, especially earlier in the year, is always if I'm, if I have more, I have more uncertainty in the beginning of the year than I do, my best time is always in the summer. That's that's when I'm, I've always been at my best in fantasy NASCAR and in betting. That is always when I'm good. Um, so I, I, and we talked about this last week, I, I always dial it back in early, the early part of the season. And and now if this rain actually happens, like it's supposed to, I can almost guarantee I'm not going to play DFS this week. If I do, it'll be a very low amount just to have some action. And then obviously I have my bets in, but I have no, I have no interest in all the unknowns and trying to guess them all correctly. Same. And I think, like I talked about earlier, a way to reduce the unknowns is just betting within the manufacturers. Because mm-hmm. then you're not worried about what if the Fords are better? What if the, the Toyotas are better if you're betting on a Chevy? Um, that said, I think there are certain spots, like the Tyler Reddick spot, I'm not worried about manufacturers, whatever, because I think at worst it's going to be a neutral spot for him or potentially better, even if the Fords get better. If Tyler Reddick is neutral compared to what he did last year and the Fords get better, he's still going to be one of the best cars. Or if he gets better this year because JGR is theoretically better than Richard Childress Racing. And I know I keep saying JGR. I know it's 2311, but let's be real. He (laughs) is – I mean, they're they're going to essentially give him JGR equipment. But uh, 
So I would just pick and choose my spots where you're, where you feel like the uncertainty is minimized. Something like uh, any driver to win two plus stages, right? If that wouldn't matter, it doesn't matter what manufacturer does better. If you were to hypothetically find an edge on that, doesn't matter which manufacturer is doing better or worse, uh, unless unless you believe one was like truly dominant, then there would be value on the you know the yes you know. But it, we don't know that for sure. Uh, that said, there's value just in shopping lines. Now let's look at this. DraftKings has top three lines out. FanDuel just posted theirs as we've been doing the show. Uh, Bet Rivers has top three lines out. So let's compare Eric Jones. Bet Rivers, he's seven to one. DraftKings, he's eight to one. FanDuel, he's nine and a half to one. Eric Jones is nine and a half to one for a top three, uh, where he's seven to one at other books. I'm showing 12.3%, which. If you know it's about one and eight, so it'd be about seven to one as fair value. So technically, I'm showing value on DraftKings. I'm showing even more value on FanDuel. That FanDuel bet is nice because it gives us some wiggle room down to the seven to one I'm showing in case the Fords get better, in case the whatever gets better. So part of it is finding the specific markets where the uncertainty doesn't matter as much. But even in the markets where uncertainty we can't account for, if you find big discrepancies, then I think that's a potential opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stuff like that, I know Action Network, they track the odds to win across all the books. I don't know of anybody that tracks all the different, you know, like head-to-heads. Like, I know uh, Action also tracks some head-to-heads, but, like, not all of them specifically. Um, so, we, we, by the we way, are does, does technically my... tracking all of them, but sometimes the scraping of them from the different sites gets past oh, really? our gets past our coding. Uh, yeah, I mean, our engineering team is constantly having to chase, well, they reformatted how they're posting them, so now all of a sudden our code doesn't work to get those lines anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as somebody changes a format of something it's, or, or the, the name of the URL or whatever, you know, anything, it's like, well, now we can't scrape them this week, so we have to put in a ticket and engineering. It's, And that's where when somebody's like, you know, somebody comes at me, well, why didn't you track them in the app? Uh because a because I can't and b because like think about this like there are gazillions of NASCAR props out there and and when I say I say gazillions I'm lying because obviously there's not as much as we'd like but even just looking at Caesars like how are we going to track how are we going to have something to set up to all top five to finish Quinella either win race both finish top ten, just for one sports book right so we have to you can't boil the ocean and try to track everything or have in the app lines for everything that are scraped from every book. Uh, you have to pick the most impactful ones. Obviously, the most impactful one is to win the race, so outrights. Then from there, it's probably top three, five, ten. Then from there, it's probably matchups. And next, we're going to have, uh, and, and I have word of this, we're going to have top manufacturer as the next one that's coming into the app because I, that's typically the next most bet one. So you gotta you got to work your way in terms of chunks, you can't just say, well, we're going to track, we're going to have everything trackable because then you work your team to the point where you're not actually doing things that provide value to the company. Uh, and, you know, I mean, obviously action network, we have a great app. We could track a whole bunch of shit in there, but a lot of it is NFL, NBA, major league baseball, college basketball, college football, like the, all of those things, as much as we hate to admit it, are bigger than NASCAR. 
And that will bring a lot more revenue to our company to have people tracking those things than an obscure NASCAR market. So um, you know, people say, what's the point of having the app? Well, if, if it's not for you, then it's not for you. That's fine. If you, if you can't track random whatever NASCAR prop and that makes or breaks the app for you, then don't use the app. But by and large, the app serves gazillions of people because we're picking the most important things to track in there. So, um, yeah, we do have head-to-heads for every legal book that we can, you know, pos- all the big legal books that we can think of. Sometimes it just slips past um, because we can't constantly update the code for every single market, for every single sport. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I guess, I, I like I, I've said before, I don't bet a ton of head-to-heads. I want to get more into it this year. So I haven't you know, specifically went and checked against all other books and stuff. But, um, but yeah, uh, another question, uh, where's this at and which driver drivers are you a sucker for and continue to bet regardless of how many times they fail you? I don't have this for me at all. It's more of like none, none. Yeah. There are drivers that are dead to me and Ryan Blaney is one of them. Ryan Blaney is dead to me and I won't bet him. I might bet him, but I'm I'm much likely more likely not to bet him. I don't have anyway. I don't I don't I don't care. I don't use dead to me. I don't use this is my favorite driver. I don't use I always show value in this I, whatever my model says and whatever my brain says as far as logic, I don't have drivers that I oh, I always love this guy. And I know there are people who do, and that's fine. If you always think this guy is better than the market's giving you, then bet him all the time. That's totally mm-hmm. fine. But I am such a numbers guy. We all know this. I, I, I'm a yeah. math guy, math PhD. Uh, I build statistical models for a living or, or projections for a living uh, for sports. I am so numbers oriented that even if I like a guy, even if I dislike a guy, I'm not going to let that influence my wager. Even if I like betting him or dislike betting him. So not specifically the driver himself, but if I'm always like, man, Ryan Blaney fails me every single time. That's not going to stop me from betting Ryan Blaney if he's showing value. Um, so I don't have a I, – my answer is I don't have one. It doesn't matter. I will just bet the value, period. Yeah. I know I said, like, Ryan's, Ryan Blaney's dead to me. Like, clearly, earlier in the show, I talked about betting Ryan Blaney. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I say it, it's more just like a funny thing. But, you know, there's people out there that always bet on their favorite driver, like – uh, what's his name on Twitter? Shit I'm always going to bet Kyle Kirkwood for the Indy 500. I'm always going to yeah. bet Kyle Kirkwood for the Indy 500. That's an entertainment bet. That's not a value bet. Yeah, that that one uh, shitbox NASCAR or whatever always bets Matt DiBenedetto. You know, that's just mm-hmm. okay. You like Matt DiBenedetto, so you bet him a lot. So do whatever you want, bet whatever you want. But um, yeah, I've had a couple of people tweet me going back to Keselowski thoughts on Keselowski at fifty to one. He's another one of those guys that I don't see the the books moving the line a ton, so I don't mind waiting until. Yeah, I, I'm not taking. I know someone someone tweeted me is like he's putting a hundred bucks on on Kez five, or fifty to one. Good luck to. I you. like Kez this I, week. I like Kez this week, but even then, I mean, he's at best the I would say the fifteenth uh, best driver. I mean, he's he's not going to have odds more likely odds to win than Alex Bowman or Christopher Bell or Eric Jones in that range, right? Like, as much as we can like Kez, he shouldn't. So my model has him at 1.7% to win, which isn't 50 to 1, so I'm not going to bet him, even though I like him this weekend. 
I like his upside. I like what he did last year at these tracks. I like his track history. My model likes his track history. My model also understands there's a lot of other guys that are really good here, too, that are in better equipment than Kez and have had better years over the past year or several races, even even if RFK got better in the second half of the year. My model takes that into account. Kez is still about 15th in my model. You know what I mean? And when you're 15th down there, 50 to 1 is is about where you should be. Uh, you know, maybe 40, maybe 35, maybe 50. But it's not where I'm like, I'm going to put 100 bucks on. It's not like he's 50 to 1 and he should be 18 to 1. If he's 50 to 1 and he should be 35 to 1, yeah, throw my normal quarter, half unit tops on it. And uh, depending on you know how much value there is there. And that's the other thing um, about betting that we don't talk about is unit sizing. Um, some people will just, and and I do this a lot, but I don't always do it. If it's in that, you know, five to 10 unit range, I might throw a unit on it. If Or some people will always do like to win a thousand bucks. If your unit is one, 100 bucks, you'll throw exactly the amount to win a thousand bucks, which is 10 units. And I do that a lot. I do that plenty. But if I find gigantic edges, I will blast the shit out of it because that's what the Kelly criterion says to do for optimal bankroll growth. And that's what we did last week with this no two plus stages. I calculated from the Kelly criterion with a very safe estimate of minus 260 as fair. And we bet it at minus 150. The Kelly criterion says you should bet 30% of your bankroll. If minus 150 is the odds you're being offered and minus 260 is the true value. Now, that is a very aggressive thing, but that is literally the optimal way to grow your bankroll. You bet 30% of it. It is a proven mathematical calculation. Now, I didn't bet 30% of my bankroll, but I made a very large bet, as we all remember, because when the edge is that big, you can afford to bet bigger for optimal bankroll growth. Yeah, you might lose, and that sucks, but if you keep doing that in those spots, you will optimally grow your bankroll. So... um, I'm not going to sit there and blast Kazowski for a unit uh, at 50 to one if he should be 40 to one or 35 to one. But if he should be 15 to one, I have no problem blasting Kazowski. Uh, the problem is I have him at actually more like 55 or 60 to one or whatever it is that 1.7 percent <laughs> translates to. Yeah, yeah. So that question, another like a, a, another tweet just came in. So doing stuff live on the air. There we go. <laughs> I, I just tweeted out friendly reminder that Caesar Sportsbook generally sucks ass and uh, Ryan Stevens from Win the Race. Just the app, odds, and customer service. Other than that, it's great. <laughs> so just everything about it sucks ass. You know what I uh, will say? Um, very often they give amazing, amazing top manufacturer lines for Xfinity trucks and IndyCar. Absolutely hmm. amazing because they're not good at, at uh, forecasting that. And other books don't do that. So you can get some fucking steals on those. So I, and, and the other thing is they don't limit people like other books do. So I love Caesars. I honestly, I love Caesars and I actually don't hate the app. I don't hate its interface. I, maybe it's me, but I love that fucking site. I love Caesars other than their outright suck. The top 10 suck for cup, that kind of stuff. They, they offer some good top manufacturer stuff, even sometimes in Cup, but definitely in Xfinity, definitely in trucks, definitely in IndyCar, uh, and they don't limit people as fast as other books do. 
I don't know if you can hear it right now, but Link's snoring pretty pretty loudly. That's that's what I was looking at. I cannot hear it. I cannot hear it. My dog's <laughs> over there snoring Good. as well. LB's uh, passed it. You know, he's supposed to be resting, so I've moved him down into my office because uh, he he literally has something where um, – so he smashed his head. And I know you know this, but, but listeners don't. He smashed the top of his head, and that will compress your spine. And we all know spine, spinal compression is a very bad thing. That's how football players get – paralyzed and stuff well that happened to him he hit the top of his head uh jumping up and down and he he jumped underneath a drawer that was open and smashed his head and compressed his spine and that gave him a disc injury and that disc now is pinching on the spinal cord and it'll be with him the rest of his life so uh he had a flare-up like two and a half three weeks ago of it and he literally couldn't use his fright run fright Right front paw, like your right front wheel on, on your NASCAR, your right front tire. He literally couldn't use his right front paw. Like, he had blown his tire there. And uh, it was because the disc and, and the muscles compensating for, for the lack of disc functionality, pressing on the di- you know the muscles in flame and then press on the disc and they press on the spinal column. And that pinches the nerve to the point where it's essentially a temporary paralysis of that right front. So he's on six to eight weeks of uh, absolute rest and I can't have him upstairs. I don't want him coming up and downstairs every time I need to walk him because he still has to go out and pee and stuff. Uh, and also, he, there's more furniture upstairs that he could jump on or jump off. But down here in my office, there's nothing. So he could just lay on the floor for six to eight weeks. So he's here. So I get it. If Link's snoring, LB will be there. There might be a time LB freaks out live on air and it will just have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, just saw this tweet come up from, from Nate Ryan. Um, you know, people complaining about the the overtime rule and the race ending under caution. He pointed out a very good statistic. So since the overtime rule, which came in in 2005, four races, four Daytona 500s have ended under caution. 2006, 2015, 2021, 2023. So there might be a little bit of recency bias out of people there. Two in the last three years of races ending under caution. But generally... The this isn't happening as much as people probably think it is. Now, he's, he went on to say there's been major incidents on the final lap in 2017, 2018, 2020, but it technically finished under green. Just something to point out there. Yep. Uh, let's uh, let's do... I did mine earlier. Let's do random fantasy racing right now. Have you tweeted yours out or got yours yet? I did mine earlier in the week. Oh, did you? I didn't... You should have told me. I would have clicked your link. I did. I, <laughs> I did tell you, I think. When did you tell I'm me? <laughs> I told you uh, I'm top five now. You better tweet this out. Yeah, I have it right here. Inside the top five. Uh, I got oh, 14 yeah. of Chase Briscoe. But yeah, I'm, I'm – well, okay, so here's the thing about Random Fantasy. Because Chandler Smith didn't race – Yeah, did you get an answer I'm on this? Not even, I'm not even on the leaderboard for the uh, – so you know how the racing underdogs – is for people who played every race mm-hmm. and uh, play, played every race and um, had the worst results. Well, because Chandler Smith didn't start, it's saying I'm. It's not saying I played every race. So I'm trying to get Steve Luvender to fix that because I did play. I played that race and I got a guy that didn't qualify, and now all of a sudden. It doesn't even count for the underdog cup. I mean, I think it's the ultimate underdog to not even qualify. 
<laughs> right? So if we want to whine about it, that's what I'm going to whine about for real. Uh, I'm going to whine about the fact that I should be literally dead last in the or first, I guess, in terms of being the worst uh, in the standings. But I don't even show up in the standings because I didn't start, air quote, start the race because I did play, but I got freaking Chandler Smith who didn't qualify for the Daytona 500. So, I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate dock block. That is the newest level of dock block where I've dock blocked myself at this point that I don't even qualify for being the worst of the worst because it was so bad that they're just like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, speaking of uh, last week's picks, we were like, we're good at betting, but we're not good at picking who's going to miss the Daytona 500 because we had Connor. We both had Connor Daly and Travis Pastrana and they both made it. Travis Pastrana finished 11th. And Connor Daly was in what we all expected, a total shitbox of a car. I mean, literally the race started and his rear mirror fell off. <laughs> like, the fuck? Still finished 29th, but yeah. Oh, man. Um, so I got Kevin. I got. I also got a Stuart Haas car for Auto Club. I got Kevin Harvick. I'm not mad about that. It's a decent start to the year. After after getting BJ McLeod and... and, and uh, at Daytona, yeah, Harvick's won here before. Seventh, ninth, and fourth last three races here. I forgot. I always forget they didn't race here in twenty twenty one. But uh, who is your pick to win Sunday? You had Byron last week. He finished thirty fourth. I had Bubba. He finished twentieth. Who you got this week? Uh, I kind of want to take Tyler Reddick. I yeah. just think he's so good here. I'm just going to take Tyler Reddick. There are there's a solid list of drivers that I think that I want to pick. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go the guy that's in Tyler Reddick's old car, and I'm going to go Kyle Busch. I just. The more I think about it, the more stuff I look at. I just really like Kyle Busch this week. So I'm going to go ahead and lock that one in. Yeah, I I think it's great because we're picking the guy that drove the 8 last year and the guy that's driving the 8 this year, and they're both really good at this track. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, we're all sleeping on Kyle Larson. Um, Mm. I know he wasn't super great here last year, but if Hendrick makes gains or Chevy makes gains or whatever... I mean, he's still the best in my model. He's still number one in my model. He's still number one in the betting odds. Um, now, again, he was only maybe a sixth or seventh, fifth, fifth to seventh place car, let's say, last year at this track, and he won. And because he won, people jumped on him for Vegas. And it was, a lot of people I heard were like, well, if he can win without being the best car, imagine what he can do when he is the best car. I'm like, well, I don't think he's going to – you're twisting it here – I the point is he's probably not going to be the best car at Vegas. Like, uh, I think people, I think there's a bias where people want to believe this guy is good, and when there's evidence that his car wasn't as good, they dismiss that. Well, he still won anyway. But the whole point was the car wasn't as good. But we also have evidence that Kyle Larson is really fucking good at Auto Club. So if mm-hmm. that car is good, he probably should be the favorite. And he is the favorite of my model, and it's still accounting for that for the fact that he wasn't as good last year. 
uh, but we can't just bake in one year or one race into the equation. That's part of modeling is just because Hendrick wasn't the best last year doesn't mean they're going to be not the best this year or even worse this year or better this year. It doesn't mean any of those. We have to interpolate through a bunch of different years, a bunch of different races. And through all that interpolation, Kyle Larson is still number one in my model. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're sitting here and we're talking Alex Bowman has a good shot or could win it, William Byron could win it. Why? Like, why Why couldn't Kyle Larson win it? Same cars. And, and you know, our, our 2023 discussion about this season overall, I – I pointed out, and I'm pretty sure you agreed. I think Hendrick's going to have a big year. I think I think they're going to they're going to get back to their top tier by a decent margin level. So, yeah, I I honestly I don't think anyone knows with any confidence what to expect in this race. We have a lot of ways it could go. We have a lot of drivers that could compete, but this early in the season, we haven't really seen anything. So. Daytona doesn't count. The clash doesn't count. This is this is a whole new beast. So, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of drivers out there that that I think could do well, and hopefully, like we're not going to get practice either. Like I'm going to like I'm already banking on not getting practice. So, which sucks because man, I think pra- practice is going to be the the key to where I unlock like more bets. I think I'm going to have a really small card this week, especially if we don't get practice. And which makes it obviously way more likely that I hit zero bets because if I have 15 bets or 19 bets and I hit three, um, then I still hit a few bets. And if I have one bet, it's very likely I lose the bet because it's a 15 to one bet, right? And that's part of going back to what we talked about on people not understanding how betting works. If I make if if I bet a driver nine to one, let's say I bet ten drivers nine to one, and I hit one of those ten. Then I go one for nine. I break even. And people will be like, whoa, your record is one in nine. You're terrible. No, my record is one in nine, and my ROI is literally zero. The whole point is to make money, not to have more wins than losses. I don't care about my win-loss record. And actually, the reason I have it on my tracking sheet is to show people that I can make money by winning 20% of the time or whatever. My current win percentage on my 27 bets that have been settled so far this Cup Series season is 14.8%. I've won four of my 27 bets. But I've only been expected, based off of the odds given, to win 3.68. So I'm actually 0.32 wins over expectation. And because my larger bets in terms of units, uh, especially the the no two-plus stages, were some of the ones that hit because I'm using things like the Kelly Criterion to size my bets, right? Blasting the bigger edges and just smaller betting the smaller edges. My ROI is 21.9%. How can you be mad at a 21.9% ROI? Uh, and that's where people will be like, well, you're, you're three and 16 this week. I don't care. I'm, I was three and 16 and I made 7.1 units. So, uh, okay, I got lucky. I don't know. I didn't get lucky. I placed enough bets to where my sample size was large enough. And, you know, I mean, sure. I mean, obviously you can get lucky on a small sample size. That's that's for sure. I could have gotten lucky. But I think my track history, no pun intended, is year after year after year after year after year being profitable. It's not luck. And, I, you know, I've seen all the comments. I don't care. It's I laugh at it at this point because it's people who want to troll, who want to think they're edgy, and who want to, you know – 
try to take you down because they're not doing what you're doing. They're not as successful as you are. And I don't care. I think it's funny how miserable people get over this. And at this point, it just makes me laugh. And the reason I responded to some of these people is because it's funny. Like, it's like, wow, you really don't know that or you're just being a troll. So I'm going to call you out. Right. And so that's why I do these things is because it's like, it doesn't bother me. I thought it was funny. I was literally laughing when I would see this dude's tweets. Uh, and the best part is, then I was like, thanks for following, because he was following me. And then he unfollowed me, <laughs> so I blocked him. So then he blocked me, and I'm like, really, dude? Like, uh, I mean, you are you just lost that whole exchange there. It was really funny. Like, you're, you're getting mad at me that I was profitable this weekend? Like, what? Okay. Whatever. It's But, yeah, like I said, it's, just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's And it's the people, like, I understand people just, like, general... Um, you know, sports bettors probably don't bet on NASCAR. They don't understand it. But if they get educated, they would get it. But then a guy like that just keeps going. It's like, okay, yeah, you're just you're an idiot or a troll or both. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I got for Auto Club. I don't. I'm hoping we get a good race, but we'll see how this well, weekend one plays thing we out. Didn't talk about really like very often we go over the standings and stuff like that. Um, we didn't talk about that, but Joey Logano leads the standings. Uh, mm-hmm. Despite not winning the race, he, with the stage points and everything, came out leading the standings. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., while having a win, is not technically locked in because if we get 17 winners, there's no guarantee. Um, but he's, True. as of now, the only driver in the playoffs. Uh, but... And one other thing is I know some other books have still posted over-under win lines. Yeah. Has anything changed for you at all in regards to the standings, Stenhouse, anything? No. Like, does Stenhouse getting into the playoffs make him more likely to win the championship? No. No, I don't think so either. I, don't, I think I think there's zero shot he wins the championship. So it doesn't change shit for me. The only thing it does is, I guess, for a few of the drivers, their season win totals, like... Uh, maybe somebody like a Daniel Suarez, even though he's not good at super speedways, like that takes away a win opportunity. Because um, this is a winnable race, even for for a Daniel Suarez or a whoever. You know, some of these guys that were on the fringe of those win totals. Uh, I'm very glad. You know, I took Daniel Suarez as under half a race win. This, this he had a he had a, like a you know one of his better shots at winning. Just based off the fact that any could be anybody could win, it also is one of his worst shots because it all those lower guys as well could win. So it doesn't change it too much, but it is nice to know you dodge one of those bullets uh, with with Daniel Suarez there because he only can win a handful of races and you just dodge one of those. But other than that, it doesn't really change anything. But right now, top five in the standings: Joey Logano, Chris Busher, number two in the standings. Ricky Stenhouse mm-hmm. Jr., number three in the standings as far as regular season points. Christopher Bell, four. Alex Bowman, five. They were also the top five in the race, not in that order. Uh, and then Ross Chastain, Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick, A.J. Allmendinger, and Martin Truex Jr. round out the top ten. Martin Truex Jr. finished 15th, but is 10th in the standings thanks to stage points. Uh, and looking out for the 69 challenge, if A.J. Allmendinger finishes ninth at Auto Club, he will complete <laughs> the 69 challenge two races into the year. For, uh, I remember we talked about how many drivers would do that. I said two. Yeah. You said one. I said one. And and it's either been one or two most years. So we'll have to see. 
I'm, I'm so much better this year at tracking what we actually say. There's three. You got to get three in for Dale. Yeah, obviously. Um, you know, going back Travis to season Pastrana's one. Pastrana's 16th little... in the standings. Travis <laughs> Pastrana's in the playoffs right now. You should run the full <laughs> season, huh? Um, going back to season win totals, you know, if you're someone that isn't on the Bubba Wallace can win outside of a super speedway race, even though he did last year, um, he's still under a half a win for the year, plus 120 on Caesars. So if you think he can only win at super speedways, he just, we just took, well, one of the six off because I still count Atlanta as it. So. Other than that, they have Briscoe, Reddick, and Truex, and my thoughts on the, all those haven't changed very much. Maybe Chase Briscoe under a half, plus 145. But... Yeah. <clears throat> um, uh, that's, other than that, though, yeah, I mean, talking about the standing, that's all I got. So, yeah, I always forgot. I, I didn't really forget about it. I just never do it after Daytona because it's one race. But yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, we definitely um, do talk just, about it. Just wanted to uh, at least make sure we, we touched on it briefly. But I mean, there's little no impact right now. The, the thing to look out for will be, you know, two or three races in four races in five races. And if we got five different winners, then all of a sudden, oh, baby, we got stuff to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. So you're on Kyle Busch. Like, I'm on Tyler Reddick. Uh, anything else? I don't think so. Yeah, let's hope the rain stays away. That's it. Uh, yeah, uh, what it's we, not going to. Next let's week? hope so. Yeah. Uh, Las Vegas after that, right? Is it Vegas? Yep. 2023 schedule. Yep, Vegas. It's the, yeah, it's the West Coast swing. So yeah, Auto Club, Vegas, Phoenix, I, back to back to back. For some reason, I was thinking it was Phoenix next week, but yeah, Las Vegas next week. So that'll be fun. That's another high wear track. Yeah, not um, high wear. It, it's it's over mid these days. I remember. I remember um, we went from you know Vegas being a medium wear to like medium high. Now we definitely saw it wear a little more last year. Although I will say. Is very temperature dependent, just like Martinsville was. Martinsville, mm -hmm. remember, yeah. Martinsville's spring race or fall race was terrible, but the the or other way around, the spring race was terrible because it was so cold. Uh, but the fall race, the playoff race, was much warmer, and that they actually had fall off, and it was a really good race. Vegas is a little bit susceptible to that as well, so we'll have to see how the forecast plays out for Las Vegas. But I know, like this coming weekend, if it was this weekend, forecast would be in the mid fifties and so there'd be less tire oh, wear. Where, whereas if it's, you know, in the eighties, then it would be a whole lot more tire wear. Or if it was just even if it's sunny in sixty, it's a whole lot more tire wear because the track absorbs the heat, the the sunlight. And that's you know, going back to Auto Club, it's gonna be really cold when they race. Mm -hmm. Comparatively speaking to what we're used to at Fontana, are we gonna see less tire wear this week just like at Vegas and you know. yeah, we'll see tire wear. It's it's abrasive fucking track. It is so mm. old. Like it is old. Um whereas Vegas is still in that range where I think it could be affected by the the elements a little bit more. Uh Auto Club is just gonna chew up tires. I mean they talk about like you roll that car off pit road and you're chewing up tires. That's just that's wild. 
And this is the last or the second last race at Fontana before they demolish this, it. This is the last race before they demolish it. Yeah, so it's okay. going, going to be reconfigured into a short track, supposedly. We'll see if it actually happens because they said that before and then it didn't end up happening. But supposedly, this is the real last time. <laughs> I mean, I guess part of it was the pandemic and stuff, uh, postponing things, but we'll see. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. We'll talk to you guys next week when we talk about Vegas. Good luck if you bet this week, if you play DFS. Thanks for listening. Making So last week's episode was the second most listened to episode in the history of Stacking Denny's. Last time I checked. Um, our interview with the million dollar parlay winner last year is the top. That's right. But solid stats go, to start out the go year. Go check so. out Louvabella Winery. Um, I'm going to get my wines next week and or this week and I'll have a chance to uh, drink it on air and taste it. I, I know I'm going to like it because I like wine. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm looking forward to that. So make sure to check out our sponsor, Louvabella Winery. Um, and we, we definitely thank them for, for sponsoring the show. That's all I got, Jordan. Yep. We'll see you guys next week, and we will be drinking next week. We'll get back on the back on the wagon next week. That's right. <laughs> see you guys.